If you're just joining us since the first of the year, we've been in a series called Eat to Live. We're wrapping it up today, and it's really just, could be titled, How to Enjoy Your Bible. A lot of people have their Bibles, have a a certain sense. Maybe they should be reading it. Maybe there's something in there for them, and either lack the motivation or sometimes lack the uh, the starting point. Where do I where do I start with with how to read the Bible? This morning, I want to just start with kind of one of those one sentence sermons. Some of you wish I would go for one sentence. I never do. But here's a one sentence sermon that just says a lot, uh, kind of in a in a quick in a quick thing. Here it is. It's on the screen. That which is starved dies. That which is fed grows. Now, we can apply this to really all sorts of different things, but uh, just to get your juices thinking, just to get you fired up thinking a little bit, what is it that you've been feeding this week, and what is it in your life that, that you've been neglecting or starving? We could apply this to relationships, to your career, to your spiritual walk, to your body, and it, it just applies to so many different things. Maybe you're stuck in a rut. Um, there was a naturalist named Jean Henri, which is French for John Henry, I think, but uh, he lived around the turn of the century, had no scientific training, but he was, a, he was a naturalist. And so he made observations about bugs. And uh, one of his favorite kinds of bugs that he looked at was called the processionary caterpillar. These guys basically form a line. They tuck themselves right into the rear end of the bug in front of them, ha- close their eyes halfway, and they just march in a line. They fall around, eat pine needles, and do different kinds of things. And uh, Jean Henry, Hon- Henry, John Henry, we'll just call him John Henry, I don't speak French. Um, he's my kind of guy. He has a little bit of a junior high, you know, kid stuck in him still. And as he was out observing one day, it's kind of boring being a naturalist, I would imagine, around the turn of the century. So he decided to play a little trick on his friends. So he, he kind of coaxed these caterpillars and, and he basically kind of turned and, and steered them over. And he thought, what, what would happen if I put one of them onto this pot, like the front bug? What would happen? And sure enough, uh, much to his junior high inner self, uh, it started to just go around in a circle and the last bug came and tucked into the leader. And so these bugs are actually walking around the rim of a large pot and he's sitting here watching this. Just, you know, no TV, no internet, no iPhones. Oh, you know, this is what you do in, the, in, in, in your time. So uh, he thought they would kind of catch on after a while. Well, day after day went by and actually these bugs died from exhaustion and starvation even though food and water was right nearby. Because they were just used to following the person right in front of them. I wonder spiritually if, if, if you're stuck in a rut, if you're doing the same sort of things. Here it is, January 2012. Some of you have made um, resolutions or things. That, it's going to be different this year. Some of you are discouraged sitting here this morning going, it ain't different. It's the same as last January, and I'm, and I'm in sort of this, this rut happening. The book of Job is a powerful read. If you've never read it, right around the middle of your Bible. And anytime you feel sorry for yourself, open the book of Job and just look at what, uh, what he endured. And, um, and one of the things I find fascinating is not in a culture of being, you know, uh, just everything going swimmingly, um, but, but in a culture of real struggle and things that were going on in his life. He said this in Job chapter 23, I have not departed from his commands but have treasured his words more than daily food. And eat to live is this biblical metaphor that we've latched onto that says to, to survive and thrive as a human being, you need to eat. It matters what you eat. You can't live on dietary supplements. You can't just get vitamins kind of pumped into you. You're to eat. We were designed to eat. And spiritually, it's the same way. 
that if we as a Christian or a seeker are coming to church and, and trying to have a, a spiritual life, we're going to live sick, anemic lives if all we are doing is living on dietary supplements rather than feasting on the Word of God ourselves. I'd invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. That's where we're going to start this morning. And um, if you don't have a Bible, there, there should be one in front of you. If not, raise your hand. Someone will be kind enough to, to come and bring you one if you'd like to follow along. But in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, uh, while you're turning there, uh, think about this. Whether it's uh, on the job or in school or as a parent, um, there are sometimes that you receive or give uh, essentially negative commands. I want you to dodge this. I want you to avoid this at all costs. And then there are positive commands. I want you to run to this. I want you to pursue this. And the Bible's chock full of those. Things that we are to avoid, such as evil. Things that we are to pursue, such as God. And right here in 2 Timothy, we're going to look at a short passage that just lays out some discussion here about, about how, to, um, how to get the most out of God's word and um, it's just a little sliver that we're going to look at uh, this morning. Second Timothy chapter 2, uh, we'll start here in a second in verse 14. What, what Paul does, he's writing to a young pastor, and he starts the conversation in 1 Timothy. And in 1 Timothy, he says a few things. He says, to avoid endless genealogies, he talks about in 1 Timothy 4, 7, irreverent, silly myths or fables, things that are made up, fabricated uh, stories. And then in 1 Timothy 6.3, talks about people who are teaching strange doctrines and a strange Jesus. Last week we talked about people teaching about a strange Jesus. Maybe you come across strange Jesuses sometimes. It's people that are picking and grabbing and saying, I like when Jesus says this, I don't like when he says this. And they come and they say, Jesus is all about. And then they say it, and what you understand clearly, not from a you know prideful, I'm above you kind of a way, but a clear understanding, you haven't read the Gospels. You haven't read the very words of Jesus, because that's not who he was. That actually wasn't his central message. He, he actually said a, a lot of these other things that you've been leaving out. So, so this is nothing new. He says uh, in, first, in first Timothy 6, 3 that these people are puffed up and they have an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words. Maybe you've met some of these people. Maybe you've been some of these people. Maybe you're convicted this morning because you are that person. Just an unhealthy desire to come and argue about things. Some of you and your families have some rules. You're like, we're not going to talk about politics, and we're not going to talk about religion, right? You guys awake here? Come on. Um, you're still thinking about those bugs, huh? You're like, I'm going to find some of those. I mean, I've got all kinds of plans for those bugs. So politics and religion, sometimes people say, I just don't even want to talk about this, because there are some people who have an unhealthy craving to, to get in and just quarrel and talk about these kinds of things. Mind you, the context, we talked about how to interpret the Bible. There are rules of interpretation. Do not murder does not mean go murder anyone that you feel like it. Right? There are just common sense things that would go against reason to not follow these, these kinds of um, interpretation rules. And so looking at the context, here's an older pastor, Paul, nearing the end of his life, writing to a younger pastor. So we have to remember, this is written to a, to a young pastor, and he's teaching him how to how to uh, dispense his duties, how to be a pastor. So to some degree, you could say, well, this was written to a pastor then. I'm not a pastor. It doesn't apply to me. Here's the catch of that, though. It's been recorded for us here in Scripture, and we see in other places qualifications for an elder and pastor 
are to be an exemplary life. This is one that you should look to and say, follow this person as they follow Christ. They're not perfect people, but look to them and follow them as they follow Christ. So here are instructions going out to a young pastor, and he's warning him, there will be people in your midst that are going to argue about genealogies and tiny words and arguing and quarreling and that sort of thing. Look at 2 Timothy 14 and just follow along with me as he picks up um, some more on this. Remind them of these things. If you ever see that, you ought to read the context. Later on, go read the first part of chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 1. And charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. There's a godless myth. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So here he is now in Second Timothy, and he says these things. Do not quarrel about words and avoid irreverent babble. This is you looking at your kids' parents and saying, No, do not do this. Are we clear? And there's sometimes you just look at them and you say, I want to make sure I've got your eyes and your your attention on me. Do not go down this road. Important. Important to learn what not to do. That sometimes helps shape our path of how to enjoy your Bible. How are we to approach this most unique collection of books that's really a single book? Every single age has what, what, what I would put in parentheses as progressives. Because they're really not progressing anywhere except toward their own destruction. And Paul's almost leaning in his language uh, the way he says this. But progressives who have some new interpretation of Scripture. And what they say is, we've, we've discovered new things, and there's, there's either a new path to God, or this has been taken wrong the whole way, and here's the path to life. Every single age has progressives that take sound doctrine and put in irreverent babble, as the word is said here. And if you're a dissenter to those who, who don't buy into this enlightened interpretation, you're less tolerant, you're less educated, you're less open-minded, you're stuck in the past. Now, we're going to get to some do in terms of how do you engage the scriptures, but right now we're just looking at what you should not be doing. And there are dissenters or there are progressives in every age that would do this. Here's what Paul does. Paul gives concrete examples to Timothy of what he's talking about. He doesn't leave it unclear. Last week we said bluntly, the way to talk about false teachers is not to be polite and have everyone get along. Jesus said, hey, you're making your disciples twice the son of hell as you. Stop it. That's not polite, can't we all just get along language. That's calling them out. The reason he's so serious about it, look at the look at the imagery here. It's gangrene. You don't say to gangrene in your body, gee, you're welcome to. We're all welcome. Come and eat away at my flesh. No. It's a dangerous thing that can kill the body. So so you 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 deal with it seriously. Paul does the same thing. He calls out two specific people. Says, here's what they here's what they're doing. These are specific people doing this. Here's the effect it's going to have. It's like gangrene. 
And he leaves it very clear of what's happening. Some commentator said this, and I came across it this week, I loved it. It says this, In the end, disputing about words, in the end, disputing about words, seeks not the victory of truth, but the victory of the speaker. Now, lest we, lest we go around examining the specs in everyone else's eye, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to leave the exercise for our own heart and our own mouth and our own mind. And I'll start with me. I talk a lot in front of people. I talk a lot of God talk. So I need to check my own motives. I need to check my own heart. I need to check my own teaching about what I'm doing here. Instead of this morning, you saying, oh, I know exactly what it's talking about. We're to name them. I'm going to go blog about it today. Here's what I'd prefer you to do. I would want you to search your own heart and say, Holy Spirit, if, if I'm grieving you in something that I'm teaching my family or my Bible study group or just my own self, I've been believing a lie. We just sang this song, Voice of Truth. Would you be the voice of truth? Would you clear that out? If I've been believing a tradition of man because that's how I was raised to be believed and yet that's not you, God, you're not in that, would you free me of that? Would you show me that? And so that we seek the victory of truth and we don't seek the victory of the speaker. All right, so what are we to do? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. Look at it. Verse 15 says this. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Do your best. Some of your translations say be diligent. It literally just means be zealous. Eat to live. The reason it's titled that way is that some of you are zealous for food. You think about food right now. Your thought is on lunch. You're like, I wonder when he's going to be done because lunch is coming. And you know what's funny about the physicals? We don't, have to, we don't have to work ourselves into a frenzy to think about that. We have cues and reminders that way. Some of you have experienced, dare I say you've tasted, of the, of the joy of, of, of longing for the word of God, of longing to be in God's presence, of longing to hear from God in the same way that you've longed to fill your stomach with food. And it's a joyful thing to be in that place. Do your best means that there's some effort involved. Some of you have been duped into thinking, go to church, join a Bible study, and then just keep cruising along, it'll be good. You don't eat that way, you don't eat twice a week and hope it kind of tides you over. We're to keep at it, and to do your best and to be diligent means that you're probably going to need to change, and change is uncomfortable. Look at the word worker in here. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. The word worker in Greek is this. It emphasizes the laborious nature of the task. The fact that this is going to be work to get this done, not necessarily the skill of the workman. Do you see the picture of that? The picture is this. You don't have to have gone to seminary. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to receive some kind of special training. It's laborious work to go and make sure that you're studying God's word well. Now, we've had four weeks of getting to understand some things about the scripture. Uh, I had the opportunity to teach one time in China, uh, and I was there in front of a room full of hungry faces longing to receive some instruction. Because for a long time, they had been out in a rural village, and what they had was the Holy Spirit, and they had the Bible. What's powerful is these were dear brothers and sisters in Christ. And to see and realize, wow, this is the same sound words of Jesus Christ, bearing fruit in a rural, crazy, remote part of China. 
And yet here they were gathered, and I thought to myself, how many times have I sat in a church in America totally oblivious to the smorgasbord of food and teaching and helps and understandings that are around me, and we can walk away sometimes going, yeah, there just wasn't much I liked. There wasn't that much food there. There's plenty of food. So some of it is just the laborious task rather than the skill needed to perform it. Handling accurately uh, bears with it the, the idea of, of cutting a straight line. So if you're a bricklayer, you're going you're gonna to lay them straight. Not that hard to start putting bricks down, but hard and laborious to make sure it's going in a straight line. If you're a farmer and you're plowing straight lines, you're, you're seeking to... To, to do this. That's, that's rightly handling it. This is not reserved for kind of the professional Christian. Rather, it's for every Christian. So here's my question for you. Are you holding on to the truth of God's word? Listen to Psalm 119.30. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes. O oh Lord, do not let me be put to shame. There's a guy by the name of Eugene Peterson. He set out to basically translate the Bible in kind of modern vernacular English of Americans. Here's how he translates this passage. I love it. I grasp and cling to whatever you tell me. God, don't let me down. I grasp and cling to whatever you tell me. Some of you in here are kinetic learners. You like to do stuff. This is for you, okay? Grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, grab a book. But preferably grab your Bible right now. Do it. Come on. Some of you are like, I'm not a connect learner. I don't care. Do it anyways. You might be and you just didn't know it. You might start learning stuff. Grab a Bible. Here's what I'm sure of. Look at the way you're holding the Bible for a minute. Okay? Now, unless you're the junior high prankster that I mentioned earlier, none of you are grabbing the Bible like this right now. Okay? Look at your hand. Does anyone look remotely like this? Okay, probably not. Good job. My kids kept their hand down this time. Oftentimes, they'll shoot their hand up at that point. I want, you to, I want you to do this because I want, you to, I want you to see something. You can go ahead and put your Bible down now. Um, this, is, this is an illustration uh, that, that you can tell has been passed on from somewhere near the late 60s, early 70s. And I thought it had kind of the old school transparency feel. So just imagine that there's a transparency projector beaming this up and it's going to kind of take you back in time a little bit. Some of you back to before you were born, which is kind of fun. It's like space travel. Um, this is something, well, that's not it. Uh, there it is. This is something that was passed on to me and shoved into my Bible a long time ago, something like this. Um, and it's just a simple hand illustration. And what was shown to me as a little kid was this, that, that if, you were to, if you were to have God's word and you were to begin to grip it and say, do I cling tightly to the word of God? Many would say, yeah, of course I do. I'm a Christian. What else would I be doing? But, but many people grasp God's word by hearing it. They're, they're clinging to it with their pinky and their palm. Hearing God's word is great. Faith comes by hearing. You don't come to faith in Jesus Christ unless you hear the gospel. But then you add to it reading, and if you add reading to it, hearing and reading, that's, that's, that's a really, really good start. But if, but if Jonathan were to come up and, and pull this out of my hand, he'd yank it right out. If I were in the midst of running or doing something, it could fling right out of my hand. Not really clinging tightly to it. Number three is study. What we've been talking about for four weeks now is learning about studying God's word. Now, you've heard me say it for four weeks in a row now. Studying doesn't just involve kind of, you know, sitting down with a lamp and opening it, getting some study done, and then you're done. But rather, it actually involves memorizing and meditating. 
Over and over I say this, if you have a half an hour to go have a quiet, devoted time to God, up at Hume Lake they call it jam time, Jesus and me time. If you have, if you have a half hour for some jam time, here's what I would suggest to you. I would suggest that you read for 15 minutes, and then you spend 15 minutes just meditating, thinking on what you just read. Otherwise, it's almost like taking a cup and just pouring it over, and there's lots of water going, but it's not, it's not soaking in. It's not really seeping into your life. Now, if you were to grab your Bible again, and someone were to come along with every wind of doctrine that doesn't line up with a Christian worldview that's revealed to us in God's Word, what's going to happen is you're going to realize, man, I've got, a, I've got a firm grip on this thing. And as I'm running hard after Christ, I've got a firm grip on the Bible. These five things are very, very important for you. As we wrap up, uh, there's so many more. In fact, uh, we'll be offering more, more teaching on this uh, at a later time. But sometimes people ask, what is the best Bible study method that's out there? I'm going to cover four more today. I'm not going to show you how to do it. I'm just going to reveal to you what they are. Here's the best one. You ready for this? The best Bible study method is the one that you're actually doing. Right? I mean, don't spend a bunch of time going, well, I learned 27 different Bible things. I've got a library full of 102 different Bible helps. But you're not doing any Bible study. So the best Bible study method is the one that you're actually using. The best way to eat is to is whichever way is getting is getting the food in you. Let me run through a couple very quickly. You can write them down if you'd like. Um, topical is selecting a subject and tracing it through the scriptures. I mentioned the Thompson Chain Reference Bible um, a couple of weeks ago as a basic tool for some library. What's great about this is you can trace through and say what does the Bible teach about X Y Z, and you can start looking at it and see and see from different places in Scripture what it is. Number two is biographical. Some of you are into biographies. I really enjoy biographies. I like reading uh, histories of dead people. I like reading sports biographies, those kinds of things. Here's what's great about a biographical study in the scriptures is you get to see God's truth rolled out in the same way it gets rolled out in your life. Not in pithy little principles, but in the context of real life. And the Bible is not shy at all about revealing the whole context of a person's life. If you were to do biographical studies, you'd come across Noah the builder, Abraham the pilgrim, Jacob the deceiver, Joseph the dreamer, Joshua the soldier, Gideon the coward conqueror, David the lover king, and Solomon the wise. And on and on and on I could go. As I just read that list, some of your brains were just clicking, going, yeah, you could call him the deceiver, but you could also call him this, because we're all so three-dimensional, right? But a biographical study is a great way to get into God's Word and see, and see how they interact and, uh, with, with God. A third way is to study books. That's where you endeavor to master a specific book. If I could make a recommendation on two to start with, James and the book of 1 John. Those would be great books. One of the ways you begin to master a book is you do this. You purpose in your heart, I'm just going to read this book every day for one month. Take you about, I don't know, 20 minutes or so to do James and 1 John. You read that book every day for 30 days, you'll start to have mastery of it. You'll start to understand what that book's talking about. You'll start to understand where the author was going with things. Finally, chapters and important passages. Many of your study Bibles, I hope you're discovering what you already own. Some of you own some incredible study Bibles. Read them. There are some great helps in there. 
Some of you have Bibles that say, here are some important chapters. If you want to find a chapter on love, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. If you want to find a chapter on faith, turn here. And all these different things. Begin to study those chapters. Two of my favorite chapters that I mention all the time up here is Romans 8 and Romans 12. So much in those two chapters to just soak on and meditate on and pray them into your life. All the Bible study prep in the world and all the Bible study training in the world doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be changed. In fact, there are many people who've been trained for Christian ministry, trained to be a pastor, trained to be a teacher, and yet they've, it's failed to, to transform them. In my own family, I had one who was a, a professional Christian for the whole of his life, and to this day, he's now renounced his faith and said, God, can't be known whether there's a God or not. It's possible to get a bunch of information. It's possible even to have a lot of admiration for that information and not be changed. Zero transformation has gone on. Now, viewing this from God's perspective, this is a little bit like this. This is a little bit like me as a parent giving instruction to my kids. And I'm telling them things, and they're looking at me, and they go, huh. They go, Dad, you know what? I just want you to know, I so admire the way that you phrase that. That, that just brings a lot of inspiration to me. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to actually memorize that. I go, fantastic. What do I want? Here's what I want. As I'm communicating with my son, I want two things. <laughs> I went right to my son. Son or daughter? Can <laughs> you tell how my morning was? I want two things. I want relationship. That's the first and most important thing. That's why I'm communicating with, with this child of mine. I want relationship with them. And secondly... If there's a command here, I want obedience. I tell my kids periodically, kids have a struggle learning this sometimes. But kids, let me just tell you this. Your parents are doing the best they can with what they've got. Okay, I love that they're here on a Sunday morning. And here's the thing. we don't. Parents don't enjoy making up rules. We don't enjoy just telling you things for the sake of telling you things. We really do have reasons behind it. So for us as a Christian to look at God's word and admire it and receive it as information, but not to pursue relationship and not to obey it, is to do the same as a child who would look at you admiring your words but not following them. Life does, in fact, give us many, many kinds of tests. And what happens with God's words, I I love hearing stories from you. Um, It was just even neat to hear this trickled through baptism class and through some of the testimony this morning about the way God's word just transforms us. What happens is you'll be reading along, you're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start pursuing God in relationship and it doesn't happen sometimes that very day, you know, where you just, you realize, wow, I read that in the morning and then this happened here. But what happens is your, your heart and your mind and your life begin to take shape and God begins to form you by washing you in the water of his word. Take God up on that. Do an experiment. And sometimes you'll be going through life and what will happen is you will realize that God has been forming you with his word and it's going to help you in some very, very tangible ways. Uh, Back around the turn of the century, when this naturalist that I mentioned before lived, uh, the fastest way to text someone was by telegraph. Okay, So they had telegraph machines that would go on and there was a young man that saw a help wanted sign in an office. He walks into the office. The office is super crowded. There's about 13 other applicants in there. And he's sitting in there. And on the door uh, to the inner office is a little sign, and it says this. Please wait to be summoned. 
So he's in there. The young man walks in. It's already crowded. It's kind of noisy. After a couple of minutes, the guy walks up. He stands up, walks into the office. While the other applicants kind of begin to grumble themselves, and they think to themselves, pretty foolish. He'll be out on his ear pretty quick. Well, within about a minute or two, boss man comes out of the office, and he says, thank you, other applicants, for coming. The young man has landed the job. The other applicants, of course, grumble and, and, and protest and say, well, wait a minute, that's not fair. He didn't even follow the rules. Well, here's what had been going on. The whole time that people were sitting there, someone was back tapping out in Morse code. If you can understand this message, get up and come on in. The job is yours. <laughs> One guy was tuned into it. He's the right guy for the job, right? That's his job. It's going to be doing this kind of a thing. It's powerful to think about the fact that all around, brand new Christians are especially in tune with this. They go, man, God's everywhere, Dave. I'm finding him here and over here. And he's at the gym. And he's even at my office. The miracle is he's been there all along. All of a sudden, we're listening. All of a sudden, we're tuned in to what's going on. Sometimes the tests that we're looking for, they're not come in and sit down and now I'm ready to take a test. It's, it comes from a totally different directions. direction. I want to give you a couple of quick resources, and then we'll be wrapping up momentarily. One is, um, one is this. We're, we're a church that, that has um, quite intentionally uh, stripped ourselves of, of trying to do every program under the sun. We realize that to, to spread our resources all over the map would be uh, dangerous to losing sight of the mission of what God called us to do as a church. Um, but I want you to know there are some other amazing churches around that, that we're in partnership with, that we pray with. I meet on a regular basis with many, many pastors in this city, and we proclaim the same Jesus Christ, and we're pulling in the same direction. Some of them have something called Bible Study Fellowship. You may hear of someone who's gone to BSF before. I decided to ping a few of our BSF people. We don't offer it here, but they've gone and, and been a part of BSF for many, many years. And I, I, I just wanted to find out from them, hey, what are some things... That, that have been a blessing to you? What, is, what has helped you with this? And they took me up on it and wrote some things. Here's, here's, here's from one person. He said the kids love it. They also bring their kids and they have a family component to it. They have learned the truths at an early age that many adults don't even know about God. Another person said this, there's great accountability to being involved in BSF. Two ways that they're accountable is this. One is that there are daily study questions. And secondly, to be able to participate in the Bible study, you have to have had done your, done your questions or you cannot speak. You cannot answer. So there's motivation to say, if I want to participate, I've got to, I've got to do this. So I'm going to have to do my questions. I think it's six days out of the seven and, and go get them done before I can participate. Another one said this, that BSF has trained me to study God's word and to really look at what the Bible is telling me and not using outside sources. A couple more comments. When I've told people that I'm in BSF, they almost always say that they've heard it's an intense and time-consuming study program. I've come to set my standard by this, and it just seems to be an appropriate amount of time to study if you want to dig and really get a deeper understanding of the goodness of God. You know what that is? That's a worker right there. He's not concerned about what he does or doesn't know and how skillful he is. He's a worker. He says, you know what? If I'm going to dig and mine for gold, I'm going to have to work at it. God's with me. God wants me to find this. So I'm going to begin to to pursue God in this way. Lastly, listen to this. As we've gone through painful family circumstances this past couple of years, being in God's word has been my lifeline. 
Now, you don't need to be in a BSF class to do that. I just want to communicate to you there are some other tools and other helps. There are some Christian colleges around that offer a one-year Bible certificate for those of you that say, you know what, I'd like to enroll in an evening class. We have something we called last summer the Summer Theologian Series where we take some different classes and we go specifically into some deeper things. And we're just training you. We're just, we're just wanting to offer it to you. I want to say as part of the leadership of this church, we recognize it is an ongoing commitment on our part to keep our people trained and engaged in God's word, feeding themselves, that's going to make a, a huge difference. Just like with our kids, if the only spiritual training they ever got was about an hour on a Sunday once a week, and then you wondered why they turned out the way they did, and they got nothing else the rest of the week, for you to come and point your finger at the Sunday school teacher and say, man, you should have trained them better, is ludicrous. So it is with the Christian. We want you feasting and feeding on God's word. In your notes are some fill-ins, and I want you just to follow along with these, if you would. Some of you talk about meals and, uh, and enjoy sharing them and, and thinking about them. I want to tell you a little parable. There were four friends who decided to go out to a meal and celebrate, and it was a really fancy meal. And by fancy, I mean there are multiple courses. And by fancy, I mean the tip was about as much as this family would normally spend on the whole bill. So it's just a fancy meal, a nice meal to go out and and enjoy some time together. Three of the friends are talking, and they're explaining all through the meal. They're just ooing and aahing and and tasting each other's food, and they're they're explaining the intricacies of it, and they're they're smelling it, and, and, and and they're commenting on it. One is remaining rather quiet on the food component. At the end of the meal... It's kind of asked around, how did everyone enjoy their food? And, and you go to the quiet one, and the quiet one said something along these lines that, well, the, the portions were, were kind of small. For what we paid, they were just on the smaller side. So not trying to be negative, but, but, but portion was the main comment about it. The other three began to talk and just said, man, let's, re- let's recap now. Now that we've eaten the meal and talked about it, and take, let's recap and talk some more. So they talked some more about it. Of the four friends, here's the reality. Some talk about God's word like the three friends. And the one left out says, man, I don't know why I'm, I'm there. All I think of, all I can think about is kind of portion and price. What's it going to cost me? And how much have I read? I guess I'm supposed to be reading something. I want to share with you some just tips. These aren't, these aren't just you know, scriptural. These are just some ideas but I'm going to give you some scripture around it of how to come to your Bible meal. We've been talking about thinking of this like a meal. Some of you pray before your meal. It's, it's to stop and acknowledge God at least a few times through your day. And when your stomach growls, think about eating and eating. Maybe it's just a good thing. At lunchtime, just have a, get in the habit of opening your Bible. Here's how I'd say to, to come to your Bible meal. And this will grow you if you're that fourth friend who looks mostly at price and portion. One is to come expectant. Come ready to receive. The one who authored the Bible is a generous and good and giving God. And so to come and say, God, I'm going to open this and read this, I'm expecting to receive from you today. Psalm 63.1 says this, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry, weary land where there is no water. Secondly, come to your Bible meal reverent. God's not your buddy You're not really hanging out with God. Jesus is not your homeboy. 
Those are kinds of terms that are thrown around. And what it's doing is it's taking a, a transcendent, altogether different God who thinks completely different than us, and it shrinks God down into a mindset that he's good as long as I can understand him. A God that you can completely understand is a God made in your own image, and he doesn't exist except in yourself. Habakkuk 2.20 says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Psalm 89.6-7 For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. Proverbs tells us that Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I know that some of you need to be healed of what that fear looks like because you were beat up with God talk growing up. But fearing God is altogether separate and holy is the beginning of wisdom. Third is to come alert. As a college pastor, I used to get a lot of this. I don't have my phone with me. But, you know, you'd be talking to someone and you're engaged with them and they're like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And so then you just start talking about whatever, you know. You're like, I'm going to steal your car tomorrow. <laughs> Did you know that? Uh-huh. And they just have no clue because they're totally checked out. They're, they're engaged in this. Now, now some, you know, some might let that kind of go for a while. But if I had an intern that was doing that, I'd, I'd nip in the butt. I'd say, don't do that when we're having our meeting like this. What if you were asked out on a date, ladies, and your date the entire time was watching the game right over your shoulder? was checking the score, was doing work on his laptop over here at Lookout Point or whatever you're doing. Here's, here's the picture. When, when we come, when we come to, to the Bible, here's what I'd say. If you're not eating at all, if you're not reading God's word at all, and you say, man, the only sliver of time I have is, um, you know, is, is this little window and, and I'm just... I would say take that. That's the next step. Take that. But how different to come to a meal and to sit down and come expectant and come reverent and you just pray before you even open this and say, God, I just need to get a clear picture of who I'm even talking to right now. Would you slow me down? Would you pry me away from this world? Would you pry me away from preconceived ideas that I bring to what's happening right now? And would you help keep me alert? Remember the disciples? They couldn't even pray for an hour. Love that, that that's in the scriptures. Couldn't even pray with Jesus for an hour. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's weak. Got to beat it into submission. So come to God alert. Matthew 22. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And in Matthew 15, 8, quoting back, he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. I've had quiet times where it's been a checklist, people. I've just checked it off. I'm like, I'm a pastor. I think I'm supposed to be having a quiet time. I think I'll check it off. How different that is than to come and say, God, I need to hear from you. Even if I don't realize right now, I need to hear from you. So I'm here. I'm ready. I'm ready to receive. Finally, is to come willing. Come willing means this. Choose beforehand who the ruler is. Purpose to do everything and anything in the book. The point is this. Many times your quiet times will not be restful times. Many times, if you're coming to the book and you're opening it up and you're reading it, it's like a mirror. It will reveal things about yourself. 
Come ahead of time being willing to do anything and everything that's asked of you in this book. And when you do that, your life will change. You'll go away, and it will not always be comfortable, cutesy, and cozy as you're reading God's Word. If every single time I see you, you go, I go, hey, how's your quiet time? And you go, oh, it's just awesome. It's just me and Jesus. We always have such a good time. I might question, I just say, you know what? Can I just sit in with you sometime? Can I see the passages you're reading? Because there ought to be times, really? I mean, if we're honest, there ought to be times where we go, painful, brother. You know, it just hurts. It just hurts. Because I don't want to give this up. But I think I got a sense in here that what I've been living is a lie or what I've been pursuing is, is actually evil. It's an abomination. And I don't like that. It turns my stomach. And I don't know what to do with that. That's how our quiet times ought to be once in a while. James chapter 1, 21 to 25. You don't have to turn there. Just write that down. James 1, 21 to 25. It talks about this. And this is how I'll wrap up this series. It talks about not being one who just hears the word of God and then forgets about it. Honestly, churches are filled with people who come and they hear a good message. I was like this for years. I'd hear an admiring Message. I'd hear inspirational words. I'd hear music that gave me goosebumps. And I'd walk away having been filled up with God. You know how long that lasted me? Not very long. Honestly, by Monday morning, the flesh is at it again. Dave living for Dave's kingdom and self was right back at it again. So James says this, don't come and just be a hearer, but be an effectual doer of the word. We said at the start, we're not out to make a bunch of Bible scholars that just know a bunch of information. Here's the way that you, here's the way that you grow in your faith. You put God's word to the test in the sense that you read it and you go start living it. I did that at the age of 17. Started reading God's word every single day and God transformed my life that year. Unbelievably so as I began to eat straight from God's word. Here's a one-sentence sermon from Jesus. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I want to invite the band up right now. We're going to move into a time of uh, just taking up our offering and reflecting in song. We're going to sing this song, My Offering. As we do, I want you to listen. Maybe even as you hold your Bible to some thoughts written about the Word of God. The Bible is not like any other piece of literature, for the Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its teachings are holy, its commandments binding, its promises sure, its history is true, and its judgment certain. Hear it to believe, read it to be wise, study it to grow, memorize it to keep pure, and meditate on it to be fruitful. It contains light to guide you, food to strengthen you, comfort to cheer you, and power to change you. In its pages, paradise is restored, heaven opened, and eternity unveiled. Christ is the grand subject, our good, the design, and the glory of God its end. The message within will capture your heart, free your soul, guide your feet, rekindle hope, and instill confidence. 
It is a mine of wealth, a river of life, a spring of joy, a mountain of hope, a fountain of peace, and a foundation of faith. It will renew your mind, transform your character, keep you from falling, prevent spiritual shipwreck, deliver you from evil, thwart the enemy, prepare you for tribulation, protect your name, reveal God's will, and keep you on the narrow road. Drink from it daily, diligently, purposefully, and prayerfully. It will make you wiser than your enemies, give you more insight than your teachers, and more understanding than your elders. This message will condemn the wicked, save the righteous, destroy those who add to it, but in keeping it, there is great reward. This is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, but much more. It is food for the hungry, water for the thirsty, milk for babes, meat for the mature, tools for the workmen, and truth for the teacher. It's a crushing hammer, a devouring fire, a saving power, a piercing sword, a defensive weapon, and a probing instrument. It will humble you, delight you, and satisfy your deepest longing. Treasure it more than your necessary food, for it is sweeter than honey and more precious than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Hold fast to it, cling to it, revel in it, cherish it, pray it, live it out, and pass it on. Because you see, all men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. And this is the word which you have heard. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the gift that you've given in preserving for us the Bible. And God, as we see it take root in the life of a Josh and Christine and Aaron that we got to hear testimony about this morning, we praise you and have our faith and our convictions stirred and challenged because of that. Would you free us, God, from a perception or a mindset that it's drudgery or duty to have to pick up and read an old book? Rather, Father, like beloved children that you've told us that we are, would you help us to seek mimicking our Heavenly Father and getting to know you through your revealed word? I thank you for the path that you have, my friends, on here in this room. I pray, God, that you would keep us, sustain us, and guide us along the way. As we give right now, Lord, I pray that it would just come only from a cheerful heart, free of manipulation, but joyfully to mimic the generous giving God that you are. We love you. We sing to your name's great honor right now. In Jesus' name, amen.